Amen. Um, you know, one of the things that's going on during December is Advent. And uh, I encourage the band this morning, and I want to encourage you guys right now as your pastor. Uh, Christmas season, for some, can really be depressing. It really can. Um, I think some of us get caught up in the clouds in the sense that there's no sunlight in Seattle, which is super depressing. Some of us get overwhelmed with um, money because Christmas can get expensive in our commercial culture. Some of us uh, are separated from family at Christmas time. But I want to exhort you as a church. The four you know, topics of Advent are love, joy, peace, and hope. And joy, today, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus for your joy, became a baby. And he lived perfectly for you. And so, Christian brother, Christian sister, I want to exhort you today, fight for joy. We've got to fight for it, guys. This world, sin, and Satan, it seeks continually to press down our joy, to rob us of our joy. And I tend to be a very pessimistic, very dark, kind of macabre type of guy. I always see what's wrong with everything. I always see what could go wrong. And Jesus is teaching me in this Christmas season, man, buck up, buddy. It's Christmas. Let's rejoice. And this whole month, you guys, celebrate in your workplaces. Get kind of corny and ridiculous about it. Jesus Christ was born into this world. The Son of God, the creator of the universe. So, with all that said, let's talk about sex, all right? And that is where we really are. In all seriousness, uh, we have been in a series of sermons. For those of you that are visiting today, God bless you, welcome you. You're coming in in kind of a hot spot in a set of sermon series entitled Two Little Birdies. Marriage is in shambles in our culture. And so a number of, actually years ago, I had this idea for this sermon series and now it's come to fruition. We have talked about the roots of marriage in our triune God, who God is, what he does, how he loves himself, and then we reflect that. We've talked about the supports of marriage, that marriage is a unilateral, unconditional covenant. It's unbreakable. And regardless of what your partner is doing, you are involved in loving them, serving them as God is involved in loving and serving you. We've talked about role responsibility in this set of sermons where we've talked about male headship, that men are in the marriage called to be servant leaders and ladies are called to be submissive helpers. Again, if that frazzles your feathers, please go to taprootchurch.org, get on the podcast and listen to the sections on servant, headship, submissive, helper. We've talked about conflict resolution and communication. And then within marriage, of course, there is sexual union. And so today we're talking in part two about sexuality within marriage. And then once married couples start having sex, they start having babies. So we've only got two more sessions in this series of sermons where we're going to be talking about raising biblical babies for the glory of God. Then we're going to do, just so everybody knows where we're going to go, we're going to do a quick three-part series at the end of the year entitled Promise, Purpose, and Provision. We're going to talk about the promise of God to us as a church. Now, just this morning, I was asking Jesus, do you love Taproot Church? Do you love her? And his response to me was, feed my sheep. I love her so much. That's my job. I'm going to feed you guys the Bible. The promise is that he's going to meet with you, love you, shape you, change you, transform you, use you. We're going to talk about purpose uh, as we open up January. The purpose of the church, the purpose of God in this world through us. And then we're going to talk about provision uh, the second week of January where we need to talk about getting our budget up 
to STEAM for 2013. Uh, you know, we're not shy about talking about money when we need to talk about money. So we've got some stuff coming up here at Taproot where we want to get all of the pastor salaries up to the percentages that they should be. We would love to be able to hire a number three person who would work as kind of administrative admin, do all the stuff that we don't want to do that we need help with. Um, so we need to get the budget up. So promise, purpose, and provision. Let's pray. We're going to talk about the how-tos of God-glorifying sex this morning. I really do believe that this is important and that your hearts will be refreshed and that each of you will be experiencing sexual union in your marriages as God wants you to. Jesus, thank you so much for this beloved baby girl church. I just love her. My worst days, Lord, I just love her. And as you gave your life, I pray faithfully to give my life to her and to this community. I pray that those who are sitting here right now, that they would love this church. That they wouldn't use her, that they wouldn't abuse her, that they wouldn't mock her and divide her and scorn her, but that they would own her. That this would be our church, your church, we, your people, loving you, glorifying you. And in this Advent season, Jesus, as we talk about love and joy and hope and peace... In the context of marriage and sexuality, Lord God, let joy prevail. May the joy of the Lord be each of our strengths. May the presence of the Lord bring fullness of joy today. And I want to pray for each couple today, Lord Jesus, that their sex lives would be passionate and erotic and fulfilling and satisfying. That you who gave us sexual union would be made much of. And that our highest flourishing would occur in the midst of sexual union. Lord, we need a ton of grace today. This whole series has smashed into a lot of our idols. This whole series has smashed into a lot of our failures. Some of us are feeling very condemned, very guilty, very burdened. Today, set my sister, my brother free. And Lord, as this discussion around sexuality is going to confront a lot of our selfishness, a lot of our sin. Father, Wrap us in your grace. Remind us that that baby, Jesus, was born to live perfectly. His sexuality was perfect. His desire, his actions sexually, though as a single man, never as a married man, never having sex, he lived perfectly for us. And so we can rest in your perfections. And he died for our failures. Jesus, you died for our failures. We're safe in you. Gracious Spirit, may you empower this church to be a bold gospel-proclaiming church in this winter season. May we hit 2013 with a full head of steam, inviting our friends to come and to listen, to rejoice in the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's where I want to start. Um, I employed some of my sociological skills, and I did a somewhat small poll. I took a small poll of some of the members of our church. And I ask this question, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being we haven't had sex for probably 3 or 4 years, 10 being holy moly, that was like a carnival, I didn't even realize that that could happen, and everything in between, how do you rate your sex life? And I asked males and females of our church and, and uh, got the responses, and, and on average, on average, the average response of the, the members of Taproot Church, male and female, was a five. 
It's not the carnival, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was possible. It's not we haven't had sex for years. It was just right there in the middle of the road, right on average, Taproot Church couples, on average, average, have average sex. Pretty decent. And what I want to encourage you with is that with our calendars and with our kids and with our schedules and with our stress, for the average of a community of Christians to be having sex at an average level is good. That's okay. That's not bad. I want to exhort some of you, though, as you ask yourself that question this morning, holding each other's hands, how would you, honey, rate our sex life? I would say for a Christian, there's absolutely no reason that your sex life should not be rated at a five or a six on average through the, through the course of your marriage. It should not drop down to twos and threes and fours. It's just not honoring to the Lord, and it's not what God wants for us. And so ask yourselves that question this morning, saying, all right, how, how would I answer that question? Do, what is our sex life averaging? And then the next question that I asked of the men and of the women was, all right, what would take your sex life from a five to averaging seven, averaging eight? Now, let's be realistic. I don't think that any of us are going to be going to the carnival every single night. It's not going to average a 10 all year long. It's just simply not possible. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Clowns and all sorts of fun stuff are popping. We got to stop. Let's just keep moving forward here. But what would get your sex lives, ladies, up to a seven or an eight? Gentlemen, what would bring your sex lives up to a seven or eight? And the, the answers were very interesting for For men, generally, it was frequency. More sex would bring it up to a seven or an eight. You know, guys are really simple. With gals, um, there were these ideas that were a little bit more complex. One of the most most profound answers that was given to me was, um, I, I have sex with my husband, but it's easy for me to just let that become a duty. And if it wasn't a duty for me, if it wasn't something that I just did because I love him, then that would probably move it up. So what we want to talk about here first this morning is four hindrances to godly sex. I wanted to start this morning by talking with each one of you about four hindrances that kind of stall out our sex lives. And before we get into this this morning, guys, some for some of you, this is going to be a bomb in your marriage. Like, you're going to leave these sessions going, oh my goodness. You know, our sex life has been a little bit backwards. It's been a little bit lukewarm. And what I want to assure you with and what I want to pastor you with and what I want to comfort you with this morning is this. Grace covers you. You need grace today. Ladies, do not walk out of these sessions feeling burdened and overwhelmed and condemned. Fellas, don't walk away from these sessions feeling like you got to strap on the bootstraps and get it right for your marriage. Let grace cover you. Let grace transform you. Let grace build into your sex lives. So when we ask the question... What's the average of our sex life? It's a five. I want to try to answer the questions to what may be hindering our sex lives from bumping up to a seven or to an eight. And we could really summarize that in self and in sin. Our self is what keeps us hindered in our sex lives. And sin and Satan is what deceives us in our sex lives. So we're going to work through these four hindrances to godly sex. And then we're going to move on to three helps to godly sex out of the Song of Solomon. Um, Buckle up. It's PG-13 this morning, but God will be very gracious, and and I trust that he'll use the truth to really build up your lives. Before we get into these four issues, let me say one more thing. Your sex lives can serve as a real thermometer or a real barometer of the rest of your relationship. In fact, I would say 
80 to 85% of the marriage counseling that I've done where sexuality is a problem in it. Remember, this is 80 to 85%, not all the time, but a lot of the time, the problem in the bed starts the morning that they get out of bed, not at night when they go to bed. It starts in their relationship where something is hindering the actual relationship. There's not emotional connectivity. Usually men are not leading well, so they're not respected well. Um, Ladies are overwhelmed, tired. There's uh, a lack of communication. There's just a lack of respect. There's a lack of gentleness. There's all these things that pile up during the day to where the thermometer, by the time they get to the bedroom at night, is, you know, 31 degrees. It's freezing in there because nothing's been heated up through the day. So right now, take your sex life and say, is our marriage average in reflection to our sex life? And where can we start working on our our daily relationship? These things we'll be talking about. Let's talk about the first hindrance to godly sex, physical issues. Physical issues. Now, the front end of this doesn't have a whole lot of Bible in it. It's just basic common sense and a lot of wisdom. Physical issues. For some, particularly for women, in fact, almost all the time for women, sex can be extremely painful dependent on the, you know, the configuration and the way that God made your body. There are ways around that, and the, the commission to the Christian woman who experiences pain during sexual activity is to, one, go see your gynecologist. You need to go and find out if there's something wrong with you physically that can be fixed or alleviated. It's of utmost importance that you not allow pain to be an excuse to move away from physical intimacy. Number two, get creative. The Bible is very clear that what you do in your bedroom and the way you do it in your bedroom is a free-for-all as long as you're married to one person and it's male and female. So get creative, see a gynecologist, figure out which way you can engage in sexual intimacy with your partner. Number three, when it comes to this physical pain part, you don't always have to think of sex as intercourse, penetration. Sexuality goes much further than that. And so men and women can serve each other beyond just physical penetration in wonderful and God-glorifying ways. Along with these physical issues, we see that There are seasons where pain or where physical issues will hinder us from having sex, and that's okay. Right after having a baby, that's a very common time where, you know, the body is healing. Along with that, postpartum depression is very, very real. And the sexual union, sexual intimacy just shuts down. And and husband, you need to just lead in that time. Be gentle and tender in that time. Wait it out, brother. It's a time where physical issues are going to hinder your sex life in a good way. Seasons of sickness. Uh, Those that suffer from physical ailment, Crohn's, cancer, all of these things can contribute to hindering our our sexual union. Uh, Hormonal shifts, particularly as you get older, menopause sets in, uh, the libido of men drastically drops off as levels of testosterone go away. But I can tell you that my grandfather-in-law, right before he passed away, was married to this short little Mexican gal, all the way into his 80s, slapping her on the behind and just very attracted to her, loving her. I mean, Ron and Claire, they were the sweetest, uh, most embarrassing couple to be around at times. So with these physical issues, go to the gynecologist, uh, seasons of sickness, get to a doctor. For men uh, that begin to struggle with impotence, which is a very real issue as your testosterone levels, there are pills out there now that will help you. The Bible is very uh, silent. You can take Tylenol and you can take Viagra. God has given us medicine. Now listen, the truth is Viagra is not going to increase your libido, gentlemen. It's not. You're not going to suddenly have more desire because you're popping a pill, but when the desire hits, you physically will be able to accomplish what your desire wants. 
And so there are ways around this. Some other physical issues that come to mind that I think, and if you guys are taking notes, write these things down. This is a big deal in our culture, and I don't think we're aware of it enough. Bad nutrition, no sleep and rest, stress, and being out of shape is going to hinder your sex life. It just is. Sex is a physical activity. Good sex requires a lot of physical effort. So if you're not taking care of yourself, eating well, getting good sleep, there's automatically going to be that large physical hindrance looming over your bedroom and looming over your sex life. So start eating right, start working out, make sure you're getting enough rest, make sure you're learning how to manage the stress in your life well. Now, if there are physical issues that hinder hinder sex, I would say even more so, and this is much more deeply rooted in the problems of human sexuality and marriage, it's the psychological issues. So the mechanics of good sex not only require physical health and physical well-being, they require mind health and mind well-being. In fact, sex goes so much deeper than the physical, it goes to the soul. And so if your soul is not well, if your mind and your spirit is not well, Jesus wants to transform that because sexuality is the deepest interconnectivity between a mind and a soul and a spirit and a physical body. So it's all intertwined in this cannot be untethered from other things. Some psychological issues that are very apparent in counseling marriage, married couples and sexuality. Number one, and this is a doozer, and I know I'm going to just go right in here and hit some real soft spots. Physical abuse, molestation, rape, and hurt, past hurt. Uh, statistically speaking, one in three of the women in this room have been molested or raped. Uh, statistically speaking, one in five of the, wit- of the men in this room have been molested. We don't realize that those things that happened to us when we were 5, 6, 15, 20, 30 years later come up. They have deep scar tissue. And I want to encourage you, that is okay. Some of the women in this room have an extremely hard time being vulnerable and trusting a man in general because they were hurt by men. Some of the men in this room are struggling with bizarre perversions, pedophilism. Some of the men in this room are struggling with same-sex attraction, having been molested by a man. There are, these, there are these countless ways in which the human soul is damaged. And later, sometimes 10, 15, 20, 30 years into the marriage, these issues arise and they become a massive hindrance to the overall health of the marriage and the overall health of the sexual union. We'll talk more about this in just a moment, but let me just encourage you with this. For those of you that have been molested, hurt, raped, there's past abuse, and now it's affecting your sex life. It affects your ability to enjoy sex. Know this and hear this clearly. Jesus Christ is not ashamed of you. He's not afraid of you. He's not embarrassed by you. The Holy Spirit transforms you. Oftentimes what happens to people that have been victimized is they make that their identity. I am a victim. I am the one who was hurt. That's all true. But as a believer, Jesus Christ takes you from victim to Christus victor. He is the victory over even our victimization. And so when we sinned against others, Christ was on the cross for us. When we were sinned against, Jesus absorbed that sin as well, cleansing you, regenerating you, redeeming you, making you new. And the life of the abuse victim is oftentimes a long, obedient fight 
moving from victim to Christus victor, and then experiencing that redemption and that holiness and that purity. Number two, psychological issues that hinder godly sex, pornography. Pornography, of which 95% of the men in this room yesterday were looking at. (laughs) Of which, statistically speaking, 40% of the room in this 40% of the women in this room were looking at visual imagery of pornography yesterday. This is how prevalent sexual pornography has become in our culture. It is uh, is the opiate of the masses. It is uh, a drug that is extremely addictive. And psychologically, it begins to affect the marriage bedroom in ways that we have not really scientifically and sociologically been able to measure yet. Although there are many, many, many new studies coming out on how particularly in males, aggressive, violent pornography is decreasing their libido. Men are not able to have sex with their wives because their minds have been trained in these neural pathways that only certain things are going to arouse them, most of the time violent or shameful, not biblical. Now, when I talk about pornography, I'm also throwing under that kind of junk drawer word women's pornography, which equals romantic novels. Soap operas. Women's porn tends to be a little more emotionally connected. And so what pornography does is it creates a false world that doesn't line up with reality. And it trains these minds, these souls, to respond to non-reality. To where when you get into the marriage bed, where reality faces you naked and exposed, and she, he doesn't respond to you like the soap opera man, like the porn star woman, there's this hindrance to your sexuality. This is just one more beyond putting Christ on the cross and sinning against him in pornography. It's just one more reason, gentlemen, to start really laboring, to fight with it, to battle with it in the power of the spirit, to be honest about pornographic addiction. Ladies, it's, it's wise of you to turn from literature and cultural presentations of sexuality that are nowhere near what reality is. Pornography is a massive issue within this room this morning. And you need to hear that Jesus Christ's blood cleanses us. Jesus Christ's blood makes us new. And the power of the Holy Spirit gives us strength. And for every single one of us today where we have failed yesterday, some of us will fail today. Hear me clearly. You are loved and forgiven. You've got to hear that, brother. You are not cast out. You are not some strange, rejected pervert. You are loved, accepted, and in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are pure and holy. My sister, you are safe in the blood of Jesus. And you may not have that emotional connectivity that you see in the soap operas, but Jesus Christ is connected with you most intimately and will never leave you, never forsake you. A third psychological issue that can hinder our sex lives is being taught wrongly by the church. That's why we're doing these parts in this sermon series. If there is something that the church of Jesus Christ is jacked up, it's talking about sex, where we all turn red-faced and get embarrassed about it. And this is the last place we should be embarrassed about, the most beautiful, vulnerable parts of human existence. So this is what the church does, particularly to young people in youth group. Sex is dirty. Sex is bad. Don't think about sex. Don't talk about sex. Don't be attracted. All those hormones squirting out your ears, act like they're not there. Don't even think about sex. Oh, by the way, save that for the one you love. (laughs) And so you spend your whole life approaching marriage 
Sex is dirty. Sex is bad. Sex is scary. Sex is wrong. Attraction is bad. Lust is wrong. Don't do any of these things. And then flip a switch after 20 years of having that ingrained in your minds. And there you are on your marriage bed night. And you're supposed to give all of this dirty, crazy stuff that you shouldn't have been doing for 20 years to your husband fully that you now love. This is the disconnect. And for a lot of young gals raised in the church, you spend a lot of your life just, you spend the first part of your marriage going, okay, this is okay. This is all right to do this. In fact, we're supposed to do this. At Taproot, I hope that we will start using the language of have tons of sex if you're married. Sex is beautiful. Sex is amazing. Sex is wonderful. My six, seven, and nine-year-old hear that continually from daddy and mommy. Sex is beautiful. Sex is wonderful. Sex is awesome. Sex is great. Sex is only for your husband. Sex is only for your wife. They are being trained from day one that it's not something to run from. It's something to delight in. It's something to desire. It's something to go after. And sexual attraction is not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to try to squelch and push down in the sense, in the sense that it's not bad to be attracted. My son, man, it starts early. My son, boy, a commercial will come on. He'll cock his little eyebrow and look over at me because I can tell like he's attracted to this woman. I'll say, buddy, is that, is, that putting, is that woman putting a check in your heart? And he'll be like, yeah, she's not very modest, Dad. Change the channel, right? But he's learning that that desire is okay. It's normal. When Sophia comes up to me at nine years old and says, I think this little boy is cute. No, you don't. <laughs> is what I say in my head. <laughs> and then out loud, I'm like, oh, baby, that's awesome. Listen, your daddy is way better looking than him. I want you to come hang out with me. <laughs> Where is that little fool? <clears throat> no, in all truth, that's great, hon. You know, let's talk about his character. Let's, let's, what kind of little boy is he? Is he a bully? Is he nice? Is he kind to you? Does he respect you? Remember, if you like him as a friend, that's great. If you, if you think he's cute, that's wonderful, but you're way off from even getting to a dating stage. And Sophia's just like, our little rule people, yeah, yes, daddy, I trust you, right? Taught wrongly by the church. Beloved church, if you are married, God is working in you to have tons of great sex, amazing sex, wonderful sex, erotic sex, passionate sex. And if you're not married, God wants you to be married, to have and experience that. And if you're not ever going to be married, God is your most intimate partner and he meets you right where you're at physically. Okay? We're not going to have time unless you guys bring up questions, post-question, to talk about masturbation and things of those natures, things of, along those lines. And so if you have questions about masturbation, please Text those things to me, but we're not going to address that directly today. Um, another psychological issue, one last one here is taught wrongly by the culture. So the reason that we have these talks is because the culture is teaching us about sex, whether we want it to or not. And so culture teaches us that for sex to be good, the physical appearance of partners needs to be a certain way. So you've got to look a certain way. And the culture teaches us that sex is to be experienced a certain way usually with a lot of passion and music in the background and, you know, nothing ever goes wrong and it's just this amazing, passionate experience, right? <sighs> Whatever, okay? Culture teaches us wrongly about sex, about the way we look and the way that we experience sex. And so we've got to turn really a deaf ear to the way that the culture teaches us about sex because what happens now is both men and women, particularly women, but both men and women are now ashamed of the way they look. Gentlemen, you have all these ideas of the way that your wife should look, and none of them are real. None of them are real. Ladies, you have all these ideas from romantic comedies about the way that the sex at the end of the movie is supposed to go in your bedroom, and it's not going to go that way. 
He is not Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> you know, it's just not going to work out like that. I assure you. And so <clears throat> the way that the culture teaches us is a deception. We've got to recognize it as a deception and turn our, psych- our psychological focus on that to, to reality. Now, we'll get, I'll, I'll mention it right now. We're going to get to this much more in depth in just a moment. But the truth is your standard of beauty is that woman next to you, guys. Do you want to know what beautiful is? Your wife is, period. Ladies, do you want to know what a knight in shining armor looks like? There he is, right next to you. Do you want to know what the standard of great sex is? It's what your personal experience in your bedroom is, not what the soap opera tells you. Your standard of great sex is what you personally experience together in the bedroom, not what culture tells you. And that is oftentimes very different than what we see in the movies. Number three, number three, four hindrances to godly sex, physical issues, psychological issues. Number three, this may sound strange to some of you, but lack of planning. No, Danny, it's not going to be great sex unless it's on a whim and passionate and, and it's got to be spark of the moment and heated. And no, 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 no. Schedule it into your calendar. The reality is in our culture, we are so running and gunning. A lot of us have young kids. And so we need to plan on having sex. We need to work it into our calendars and begin thinking of sex as a discipline in our marriages. Hopefully you guys are working in prayer times. I see shoulder slump. Hopefully you guys are working in times where you're reading the Bible early in the morning, right? Shoulder slump a little bit lower. Just like prayer, just like reading the Bible. Hopefully you guys are all scheduling to come to the Sunday gathering at Taproot Church at 10 o'clock. It's on your calendar, right? Here you all are. Kudos, right? You schedule in sexual activity. And for those of you with young kids, you got to get really creative. I would exhort you, schedule in on your calendar at least once or twice a quarter, get some sort of, or once or twice a year, excuse me, that's a bit aggressive. A quarter would be great, but at some overnight or away where you can just get away from the kids and, and not have any of that going on. I would say schedule it into your calendars on your daily calendars. Figure out how to lock the door and make things happen. And there's something that begins to happen. When you wake up in the morning and you talk to your wife and your wife and you both agree, tonight, tonight is the night. You spend the whole day gaining ground, anticipation. You're now serving. The last thing you want to do is get in a fight because that's going to wreck everything. So you're trying to be gentle and patient, right? (laughs) Gentlemen, it teaches you to be a good husband. Wives, it teaches you to be a good wife because you've got it planned into your calendar. It's going to happen. It's going to be great. And this whole lie of spontaneity. Look, sex is a discipline within marriage. Great sex comes from discipline planning. And then number four, number four, And this is a doozer, and I'm just going to challenge each one of you uh, as pastorally as I can. There is a great hindrance to godly sex in the church because of a lack of learning. A lack of learning. This is where it can get a little bit skiddy for some of us. But the truth is you've bought the cultural lie that you're to be insecure about your body. You're to be insecure about your sexual experience. It's dirty. So the last thing that you want to do is learn about it. When God is saying, no. I want you to learn about this. I want you to develop a great sex life. I want you to practice. I want you to plan. I want you to be disciplined in this. And so there is this ongoing learning curve that needs to be adopted. And the way that I think of it is, um, you know, women, I I describe women as like like a safe with a combination, right? And, And the combination changes every single night. 
And so a man has to figure out what the combination is early in the morning through the whole day to make sex great. And that requires a lot of learning. Men are like a microwave and they have one popcorn button and you put the popcorn in and you hit the one button and, you know, 30 seconds later, everything's fine, right? This requires learning. So some books, some books. I'm not talking about going out and getting some pornographic Kama Sutra crazy stuff that this culture offers to you. There are biblical writers and thinkers that are writing on the mechanics of sex, the how-tos of sex. They're very well done. They're very biblically centered and they're very frank. Getting right down to ladies, you need to learn the mechanics of your bodies. And young boys, listen to me. You've got so much porn crammed into your head. You have no clue how a woman's body actually functions mechanically. Get a good book. We've got one out there for sale. I hope all of them sell out today. Don't be embarrassed. Walk out there and say, I need Doug Rosenews, a celebration of sex, and read through that thing line by line. Because ladies, you've got to learn how your bodies work. You've got to learn what you like. You've got to learn to be comfortable with it. And then you've got to learn how to have that conversation with your husband. Boys, you've got to be humble enough not to sit there and be prideful like, you don't need to tell me what to do. No, you've got to sit there and listen and learn. And let me tell you that the front end of a great sex life is filled with hilarity and mistakes. Don't take yourself so seriously. Listen, sex is hilarious. If you ever just sit around and think about it, it's completely ridiculous. And so we take ourselves so seriously because we feel like we've got to have this performance when a great sex life is built on laughter and learning and mistakes, mistake after mistake. And whoa, don't ever do that again. Okay, I won't. Learning. And I think that the great step that's taken today in each one of your marriages is saying, all right, I'm letting go of the lies where I've been uncomfortable and afraid and insecure. And I want to sit down with my husband and guys, great sex takes your whole marriage. Don't think that because you're sitting through this sermon and tonight you have a great conversation with your wife that, you know, you're going to be king of the hill after that. It takes months and months and years and years. My wife and I have been married for 11 years. I won't embarrass her. But I would say it's only been in about the last five or six years that we average, and this isn't condemning or anything, but truthfully, we answer that question. We average seven to eight, but that has taken a lot of hard work. I came from a background that was extremely perverse, and I thought I was a champion. And it took me getting married, realizing I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't even know how a woman's body functions, especially my wife, with the combination that changes every night, right? So take your time. Be honest, be careful, be gentle, be long-suffering, be humble, laugh about this stuff, and learn, learn, learn. Get good books and commit to learning to where, you know, when, when you're 70, 80, and you're going to your deathbed, like Ron did, my grandfather-in-law, you're going to your deathbed still having sex with your wife. It's a wonderful, glorious thing. Okay, let's move on here. And in our final 15, 20 minutes, let's talk about three godly helps to sex. So you have four hindrances to godly sex. Now I want to finish off here with three godly helps for sex. And what I find amazing is I've been meditating on this, which is quite a thing to spend two full weeks just studying biblical sex. It's pretty amazing. But what you discover is that sex is really just the most intimate, beautiful picture of the gospel. The gospel is intertwined in every bit of human sexuality. And these helps for us will help set each of you free in your marriage beds where you can have these conversations, where you don't have to take yourself so seriously, where you can laugh, where you can have a good time. 
remember this. Point number one this morning. Gospel helps to godly sex. It's pure. Banish the lie that it's not pure. Uh, A quick review from last week. We know it's pure because God created sex. He created it for his glory and our highest good. God is not ashamed. He's not embarrassed. He's not shocked. He's not up there in heaven going, oh, I never thought of that. What are they doing? God is all about it. He is excited. He is into that. He, he thinks it's absolutely wonderful. And he created it for reflecting him in the gospel, reflecting intimacy, reflecting union, reflecting passion, reflecting pleasure. God made pure sex and he made it awesome. We see that it's pure and we need to believe in its purity when sex is acted out on in obedience to God. Uh, married couples, it's a command. Get it on. Thus saith the Lord in Jesus name. I didn't say one simple thing right there. You guys need to hear that. God commands it and he commands it in the certain context. Sex is pure between a man and a woman in marital covenant union. This means, and the Bible is very clear about this, that any other sort of sex that has dirtied us is indeed impure. So sex with the same sex is impure. Sex with multiple partners is impure. Sex with an animal, impure. Sex with family members or children, impure. Sex with polygamous partners. These things are all impure. But God, when we are having sex in obedience to him, that is within marriage with one man, one woman, committed to each other for life until death, It is pure, pure, pure beauty. We see that sex is pure and we believe in its purity because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to help you guys out. The gospel makes us pure. So when I first got married, I came out of a background with a a lot of pornography, a lot of porn addiction, and I lived that. That's what I did. I did that. That was my thing. And I was dirty. Man, I just felt dirty. Then I meet this girl. She's a church girl, right? <laughs> and, and, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, oh my goodness. What is this going to be like? How, how God's going to strike me down with lightning, right? And as Lex and I got to know each other and I began to grow in the gospel, when we were married, I, I was certainly not a virgin. She wasn't a virgin either. But the night that God brought us together in marital covenant union, I recognized that the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit had made me brand new. My mind was still filled with images of pornography from years of abuse. I will confess to you that over the years, imagery has still flashed in my mind. Drunken nights of whoever, whenever. I'm ashamed. I, you know, in many ways want to weep over that. And at the same time, I tell you with great victory, Jesus Christ has made me new. My wife embraced me not as a pervert, but as somebody new, somebody pure, somebody holy. Gentlemen, your mind may be laced, and ladies, your mind may be laced with pornographic lies, but the blood of Jesus makes you pure. This is why, brothers, you don't need to be insecure in the bedroom. You've got this desire, and you want to try this thing, and then all of a sudden you're like ashamed. Oh, man, am I just being a perv? Did I get that from some porno? You may have got it from some porno. It may be the Holy Spirit working passion and eroticism into your sex life. The point being, Jesus' blood has made you pure. Ladies, whatever experience you've had in the past, Sexually, Jesus Christ has made you absolutely and completely pure. And so in his blood, through his death, through his resurrection, we are indeed made pure. 
And then finally, I'll just throw this one in there for good measure. Pray over your sex lives. Praying really does purify your sex lives. I think that Lex and I really experienced a great change when I began praying very earnestly, Lord, fill our life, our sex life in particular, with great passion and and wondrous exploring discoveries. Okay? Start praying over your sex lives. Number two. Number two, three helps to godly sex. Number one, believe in its purity. Number two, godly sex loves to praise the partner involved. Godly sex loves to praise. Why? Here's the gospel truth. Jesus Christ is praiseworthy. Jesus Christ is beautiful. And so Jesus Christ has made us beautiful. Regardless of what the outside culture says about our body image and our experiences, Jesus has made us beautiful. And so we can, in godly sex, be praising one another. Now, this moves us to a place where we've, we become more and more comfortable with our bodies. We become more and more like in the garden. We're not ashamed of our nudity. And so we love to express praise to one another in a physical capacity. There's this amazing insight here in Song of Solomon chapter 1, and I'll just read it for you very quickly. The Shulamite woman, she begins by confessing her insecurity. She says here in chapter 1, verse 5, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. In other words, she says, according to the cultural standard of beauty, which was don't get suntanned, Her brothers had forced her to work in the vineyard, so she was super tan, which their culture said was ugly. She confesses that to her husband, she says, and to the, her husband in this scene is actually being checked out by a bunch of women. And she's saying, I'm dark, I'm insecure. She's confessing that to her husband. But then as you work through the rest of the text, verse seven says, tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pastor your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, for why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? In other words, she takes her self-focused insecurity and she turns it to her now husband and her insecurity is lost in just delighting in his delighting in her. His love and praise for her says, so you're tan. I love you. And she loses herself in delighting in him, in praising him, in experiencing him. Her insecurities are refocused upon him. I think, sisters, this is a great discipline for you. Insecurity is the height of self-focus. And sexuality is the height of selfless giving. And so turn your hearts to your husbands and to Jesus. And let those insecurities be confessed. I feel I feel insecure right now, and then laugh like crazy about it. And think about how goofy this whole thing is and rejoice in your partnership with your husband there. So godly sex praises, but it's comfortable, you guys. Godly sex is comfortable praising the other in the most graphic detail. Not only with our mouths, with our words, but with our interactions with one another. I read these to you last week just to highlight these things for you. When, when the man praises his wife, He basically starts at her feet and starts working up. He kind of eyeballs her up and down. And she's totally down with it. She has now confessed her insecurity. She's lost in his delight in her. And he says, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel, which is actually a reference to uh, the female anatomy of the most intimate place. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never licked lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat uh, encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon. See, this chick's got a big nose. He's like, you're beautiful. (laughs) 
which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. His standard of beauty is a purple-haired, (laughs) large-nosed woman. In all seriousness, she's just letting him explore. Ladies, she's lost her insecurity in letting him explore and praise. And fellas, this man has made his standard of beauty her. He's learned to delight in the nooks and the crannies that are uniquely her, in the special roundness and places that are uniquely her. Now, here's what's so fascinating about the Song of Solomon. This is a real challenge to all of my sisters in this room this morning. In the Song of Solomon, the woman is the primary aggressor. She's the one that's primarily pushing. She's the one that's primarily praising. And she's very graphic. She loses herself in delighting in her husband. She says to her husband in Song of Solomon 5, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory. I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again this week. The translators here start doing embarrassed red-faced gymnastics around what is actually said in the Hebrew text. Because when she reaches this point, taking the man from his head down, she reaches this point on his body. And the literal Hebrew says, his is like a polished ivory elephant tusk. And at this point, you can read through all the commentaries and they just go, ah, 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 his belly, his abdomen. And it's not referring to any of that. She is intoxicated with him. She's not ashamed. She's not afraid. She's not weirded out. And I think somehow along the way, this couple was like, this is hilarious. Look at this. I love this. And there was a lightness in it and a joy that was set up in it. She goes on, though. His legs are alabaster columns all the way down to the man's feet. Praise, though, goes beyond the physical character. It goes into the internal. I, I, my wife becomes more beautiful every year because I know who she is. I see her character, and I'm able to praise that and unite with that and be one with her in all that she is. And it's this delighted garden, Song of Solomon says, this place of exploring. Finally, this is where we're going to close this morning. Number three, godly sex pursues. Godly sex pursues. So in the gospel, Jesus passionately pursued us. He made it his aim to come after us, and he does come after us. So the man in Song of Solomon says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. This is the classic man and woman. Hey, what do you think? Maybe? Want to do something tonight? He's pursuing. Men usually don't have trouble pursuing. I'll tell you where men get shut down. And gals, you just need to hear this. Every time you shut your man down, there is a flood of shame and hurt that comes from that. A man is made to feel like he's not desirable. A man is made to feel like he's not honorable. And with every shutdown, it increasingly builds up a wall in your man's heart where he begins to say, okay, I I shouldn't pursue because this isn't going to happen. We're too tired. It's too dirty. It's too scary. It's too uncomfortable. We're too insecure. And it essentially, if he's leading in pursuit, listen, ladies, if he's leading in pursuit, to shut that down is, is dishonoring. What I find fascinating, though, is that the woman is the primary pursuer in Song of Solomon. Listen to what she says. 
On my bed by night, I sought him who my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city and the streets and in the square. I will seek him with my, whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. In other words, the woman made it her pursuit to go after him. She lost her insecurity and in delighting in him. She learned how her body works. She became comfortable with her body and she learned to delight in pleasure, in orgasm, in sexual union. And she began to say, I want him. Yes, libido levels will be different. Usually for men from the age of 15 till somewhere around 30, 35, 40, it is usually the man. Testosterone is through the roof, starts to edge off around 35. The libido begins to drop. Weirdly enough, somewhere around 30, 35, things begin to shift in a woman and hormonally her libido goes up. But in the discipline of pursuit, there's to be this continual longing to be sexually united with husband and with wife. Some of us may say this morning, I don't have that desire. It's particularly the women. I just don't desire to have sex. And here's what I would challenge you with. Imagine a man comes and says to you, here's a treasure box. Yeah, it's got a combination on it. Yes, the combination changes every night. Yes, it's going to take some work to figure out how to get that thing open. But when you get it open, it is filled with things that you can't imagine. Ladies, your bodies will do things that you honestly can't imagine. And it is great joy to go on that kind of sexual expedition, exploring, finding, and to say, I don't desire to find the greatest gifts that God wants to give to me is really a mockery of what he gives to you. It is. Turn your hearts to Jesus and know that he wants to bless you with great delight, great pleasure. Yes, it will take work. Yes, it will take sacrifice. Yes, it will take learning. But to say you don't desire it, well, you'd be better to say, you know, I'm apathetic. Uh, I'm lazy uh, or I'm ignorant of what God wants to give to me. Those are words that should draw you to grace where you find yourself saying, wow, have I been missing out on something? And gentlemen, you now are given the challenge, the challenge not to use your wife for pleasure. Because as I'm about to say, sexual pleasure finds its height and its maturity when one is the most aroused by giving to the spouse. Sexual maturity is built on giving and serving your spouse beyond getting. Always, always, always. One final thing I want to say here before we wrap this up and maybe do some Q&A and then close and worship is this. With desire there and, and men's libido usually higher than, than women's, the, the question becomes, well, how often should we be having sex? Would you guys turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Jump over to the New Testament real quickly. I want to address this and just kind of set it as the bar for us. It's probably going to freak some of you out. Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, 1 Corinthians 7, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband, which was very scandalous. Paul here was saying, women have sexual rights, which was unbelievable in first century Rome. This was, this was scandalous, what Paul was saying. And he says here in verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. 
For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This was scandalous. Paul was saying the aggressive woman pursues and the husband is not to sit there and say, I've got a headache. No, he's to serve. And so the question becomes, well, how often should we be serving one another? What, what should be the frequency of our sex? And I would say this. This is the bar that we set. If the desire is there, do it. If the desire is there, do it. Now, recognizing that, of course, there are going to be seasons where the desire is going to be there. And it's just not going to happen. It's just, and that's okay. But generally say, speaking, if the desire is there, you should be doing it. And what this means, men, is that you now are learning how to create desire in your life. I call this sex all day, which starts in the morning where you're serving your wife, you're nurturing, you're caring for her. You're learning the emotional complexity. You're kind of clicking around. You're listening to the safe at 10 o'clock in the morning before you ever get close to the bed. You're like listening. What clicks here and what clicks there? And Whoa, that worked. And that's starting to open up there to where by the time you hit 10 o'clock, it's one more click. And now physical expression is free and joyful and passionate. And you're pursuing that all day long. And your desire is demanding of you obedience and leading her sexually and leading her carefully and leading her gently. Ladies, I have taught and I will continue to teach because I'm persuaded of this absolutely. In all of Christianity, duty leads to delight. It just does. Nobody wakes up in the morning with the duty of prayer and then after prayer saying, Oh, I fulfilled my duty of prayer. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Nobody does that. Nobody goes with the duty of evangelism, sharing with their coworkers and their friends the gospel of Jesus and inviting them into Taproot Church and inviting them into our missional communities and walks away from sharing the gospel or inviting somebody, whether you win them to the Lord or not, saying, boy, I wish I wouldn't have shared. Nobody does that. In fact, you delight that you shared. You delight that you prayed. Nobody wakes up in the morning with the duty of reading scriptures and meditating, coming away from that time going, boy, I took no delight in that. What a bummer. I'll never do that. No. Sex, ladies, can be a duty. But the more you fulfill that duty as a discipline, as a gift to your husband, and the more that you demand of him that he leads you well sexually, that you don't get left out that you are served well, that you're taking care of, and you're communicating with him what you need, what you want, your discomforts, your comforts, your securities, your insecurities, and you're losing yourself in that duty of discovery, it leads to delight. It does lead to delight. It's where God wants us to be. Why? Because Jesus dutifully pursued us. Pockmarked, ugly, messed up, rebellious bride. And what Jesus did is he laid everything down for us. This is the gospel. He pursued us sexually in the sense that he went after us with passion and fullness to give to us himself completely and that we would have him completely. I realize that for some of you, I just dumped a big dump truck of, oh my gosh, (laughs) right in your lap. And that's why we want this to be a time thing. Don't, don't get discouraged. Don't get overwhelmed. For those of you that are practicing a sexual union and a sexual life and you're growing in good sex, godly sex, laugh about it. Have fun with it. Take time. Let grace prevail. There is no condemnation today. All of these things are simply biblical challenges to us. What I want to do is I've had some questions texted to me. I've had some questions emailed to me. If you have a question this morning, I'd love for you to be bold. Um, I'd like my wife to come up and help answer these questions. We've grown quite a bit in our sexuality. 
we're secure enough to sit up here and try to answer questions as well as we can together uh, without shame and embarrassment. And so I really want to exhort you. And there's no question off the table. And also, if you need to ask the question, like, I got this buddy and he's doing this thing, uh, that's fine. And we will totally believe that that's your buddy doing that. I realize I may have just put you on the spot. (laughs) But let's be gracious. Let's be gracious. Let's be gracious. Uh, I realized the Sunday gathering, our missional communities, you guys should be asking these questions in your missional communities where it's much smaller. Maybe even split off into guys and girls and ask the really, really funky ones, right? In a Sunday gathering uh, union, uh, community, it's tough because a lot of us don't know each other that well, but we are a family. So we're just going to press in and fake it till we make it here. Um, a couple questions that have come up that I'll, I'll address briefly. And I, I do ask just for the sake of time this morning that we keep it two questions. Um, and not launch off into a couple of Dr. Drew sessions with multiple people feeding in on this. Uh, Pastor Mike, Pastor Jim, you are more than welcome to speak into these things, should the Lord prompt you, though. Um, one of the questions that came up was, is soft porn allowable between couples? So it's a very common practice. Some of you may not know that uh, couples will use pornography. So they uh, watch pornography to be aroused. Um, and then there are categories of pornography. There's triple X, double X, X, rated R. Um, and then there's Christian man pornography, which is Victoria's Secret, uh, the Sports Illustrated bikini issue, um, which, by the way, just even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, were X-rated. Just to tell you how quickly things are moving down the road here in depravity. So the question comes in, um, you know, I think I'd rephrase the question in a couple different ways. Is it all right for me to, uh, you know, envision the Victoria's Secret model uh, while I'm with my wife? And I would say that for some of you, I recognize, gentlemen, that you have uh, created such a neural pathway that you're not attracted to your wife anymore. Brother, I want you to know there's grace for you, but I also want you to know that it's adultery. So a succinct answer is no. There's no sort of pornography allowed. Ladies, you are not, please, for the love of Jesus Christ, you are not allowed to envision that guy that was so nice to you that you just felt so connected with while you're with your husband whether it's just on a date or whether it's in the bed. And so what grace does for us, and gentlemen, I want to give you hope. God transforms your mind. He does. He does. Now, God in his grace gave me a woman that I'm extremely physically attracted to. Um, To this day, I'm extremely physically attracted to my wife. And he graciously over years has cleansed my mind, but the struggle is still there. There are still countless images. There's always that tug. It's always there. But if you embrace grace and strength, then you learn imagery and you create new neural pathways. And I'll tell you the truth. Um, I'll tell them very carefully. But both my wife and I are very free in our, in our sexuality. And for me, as a man who's visual, uh, it has just set our marriage af- aflame. I, I have just my wife. She's my standard of beauty. And that is everything to me, and there's great joy in that. So just know that if you are using soft pornography or you're using fantasy um, uh, and you're envisioning other partners other than your wife, God wants to redeem that, and it will take time. It takes time, brothers. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of accountability. It takes a lot of um, mental awareness. It takes a lot of communication with your wife. Ladies, please, please, please recognize that the the pornography addiction or the pornography issue with your husband 
is not something to be shocked or disgusted by. It's not something to be surprised by. It's not something that you shame your men with. It is something that you embrace them with in forgiveness. And I would say this too. The sin of lust is no different than the sin of body insecurity for women. They're both pride-filled. They're both self-focused. They're both manipulative. So for every time that a lady is insecure about her body and a dude is looking at pornography, those are the same sins. So the two of you meet together in the middle. I'm a pervert. I'm scared to death of my body. Let's figure out how to love each other, care for each other, and, and, and let each other be, uh, be the fullness of satisfaction. I'd also say uh, no excuses. Man, this is not an easy road. It, 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 it is a long haul. It takes a lot of work and a lot of discipline, a lot of practice, a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer. Um, one other question that came in, hon, did you want to speak into the, the porn issue at all? I think I would add to what Dan said in the middle portion of that, that um, particularly with wives, when our husbands do struggle with lust or they look at something on the internet or they, um, you're gone and they watch something on television that they know is questionable and they come to you in confession, um, I think it just, women need to hear that they need to love their husbands through that and be grateful even for the confession because that's creating and fostering safety and trust. Now, granted, it may feel like this isn't, this is going to make me not trust you, but I know when Dan has ever come to me and confessed sin to me and, um, wanted to be open, it fosters only good in our relationship, that communication. And so I would just echo what Dan said with not treating your husband, um, like trash or that he's gross or, rejecting him. I know some women will not have sex and they'll deny their husband because they want to um, punish him for the sin. And so I would just encourage you as wives to um, be understanding. That doesn't mean that the sin doesn't have pain. And so as a wife, yeah, if Dan confesses something, that's going to be hurtful and it's going to take time and we're going to have to talk through it. We're probably going to revisit it several times, but that shouldn't don't allow um, the enemy to make that become a barrier in your relationship where you're not able to um, keep moving forward and growing together. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say um, some of you guys are going to have a long, long talk tonight. I think some of your brothers just need to confess to your wives. I really do. It's, it's creating secrets in your marriage. You're feeling guilty, dude. Like right now, you, you want to go to bed with your wife, but then you feel guilty and you feel shameful. She has no clue. Um, she's insecure. And these conversations, though, at the front end, the learning curve is really steep and really painful and really embarrassing. Run to Jesus. Your shepherd is in that room with you. Your shepherd is loving you. Your shepherd cares for you. Your shepherd is not ashamed of you. Your shepherd is not surprised by you. He's with you to care for you and to bolster you and to strengthen you and to, to do all those things. And listen, you know, You'll go through seasons of great victory, then you'll fail. And there are men in this room that have had severe issues. They're now in a season of victory, and they may fall again. Uh, I'm one of them. There are just seasons. And so rest in the Spirit. Push forward into this for the sake of your marriages. I've got another question here. Does anybody have a question that you would want to ask publicly? Is there any sort of uh, questions that are rumbling around, either for my wife and I, that come up? Uh, around human sexuality. Um, there's really anything kind of goes here this morning. And if not, I've got a couple more here that we can ask. Doug, you got a question? 
Yeah. Yeah, Doug brings up, um, I'm going to try to rephrase your question just, I think, for simplicity's sake. Um, could I phrase it in such a way where it, is self-sex good or bad, and what does it do? Self-control. Yeah. Well, let me say this. When it comes to the topic of masturbation, the Bible does not really address it at all. It really doesn't. There's some, some really small hidden passages that some people say refer to masturbation, but it doesn't. The, the key issue with self-sex or with masturbation outside of marriage is this. You are uh, creating those physical neural pathways. You are. And the culture teaches us, particularly young men, that you're going to die if you don't have that release. It's not true. It's not true. Masturbation creates neural pathways that later um, come into the marriage bed. So if you're single, I would greatly exhort you to pray and exercise self-control. When I was first born again, a lot of what would help me with uh, pornography and masturbation issues was fasting. Taking the human body and telling it, I'm not going to feed you because you're going to submit to Jesus. You're going to, these desires that I have, the Holy Spirit's going to give me self-control and you can find great victory um, over self-sex. Now, <clears throat> in the confines of marriage, masturbation can become a very beautiful and amazing thing. It can become something that is shared and particularly uh, in the realm of women learning their bodies. Women learning, like, how do I become comfortable with who and what I am and how my body functions so that I can teach my husband as well? And masturbation can become, in marriage, together, consensually, can become a tool that God uses to increase desire, to increase pleasure. Um, so outside of, measure just, or outside of marriage, just like with everything else, self-control, discipline, prayer, within marriage, the discipline to practice, the discipline to know, the, the discipline to... Uh, to be together. Also, um, I think along with that, just something to be keeping in mind, and maybe it's something you need to talk about with your spouse if you're married already, but if you're not married, that it's really important um, to come into the relationship having confessed anything that's happened there. So if you do have, you know, major struggles with porn or you've been with multiple partners or any of those things, it's important to go into your marriage having told each other um, you may not get down to every nitty gritty detail, but I think really making it clear and laying it out, like, here's what I've been exposed to. Here's what I've been, ex- I've experienced is really important just for continuing and fostering that, um, safety and that connectivity in your marriage. Yeah. And I would say sisters, you need to be very mature as wives in that, because if you, if you present to your husband as he's confessing to you this like cocked eyebrow, like I just can't even believe that uh, it just fills him with shame and hurt and more pain. And so be aware that the sexual sin of the culture amongst males for most women, you're not even aware of how deeply uh, ingrained pornography is in, in male culture. You're just, you're like clueless to it. And so when a young wife either catches her husband or this begins to, affect the marriage bed, there's oftentimes this like shocking, oftentimes what I've heard in marriage counseling is, I just don't get it. I just don't even understand. That's because you're wired differently. You are wired differently and that's okay. That's good. But it does not give you a right to attribute to him some sort of 
yuckiness or grossness. Just like he has no right when you're saying, does this make me look fat? And he's like, of course not. And you don't, we don't understand the physical, uh, you know, the physical struggles that women have with their bodies and their appearance before other men. Guys are just like, who, what, it doesn't matter, right? And so there needs to be that mutual understanding, that mutual confession, that mutual sharing, that mutual loving. Remember, sex goes beyond the physical. It's the mental. It's the spiritual. Um, along with that, I would, I would also say that bringing into your bedroom things that you want to experience that come from the outside is actually, if prayed through and talked about very frankly, okay, what the Bible forbids, and something I didn't say in the message was this, um, no gender confusion. In the bedroom, men are men and women are women, okay? That's, you're not to be cross-dressing. Um, you're not to, to be involved in any sort of gender switching. Uh, there's a lot of sexual activity out there within heterosexual marriages that lends itself to more homosexual proclivity and activity. This is not honorable to God. It's gender confusion. It's androgyny. It's, it's sinful and it's impure. Um, I would say also anything that is violent or shameful. So um, when it comes to things like S&M, um, hurting whips, any sort of raping type fantasies from pornography that you've watched, um, I would go so far as to say be careful with different types of sexual activity. Uh, for a lot of men, anal sex is going to be something that you're going after because that's where pornography has gone, sodomy. And if your wife is shamed by that or disgusted or confused by that, that's not something to press, okay? These are things where you just need to have these frank conversations. Oral sex, you need to talk about those things and you need to discover what God has created as healthy and then work through asking the deep questions. Why is this shameful? Why is this wrong? Why is it not wrong? Having those those long nights of in-depth conversations and mistakes and then moving forward, okay? Um, is there another question? I've got one up here that, that we can try to answer. Okay. One of the other questions that came in was the, the similar, what if the one spouse has desire for the other spouse, but the other spouse does not have that desire? And again, I just want to try to answer that with that framework of giving, that framework of giving. And I never thought I'd hear myself saying this, but there are certainly times in my marriage where I actually am like, ah, but no, it's time to give. It's time to serve, right? So in a framework of giving, the duty leads to delighted desire. It's the practice that will lead to that. It's the practice of discipline that will lead to ultimately desire. Um, there are other issues. There can be hormonal issues where you can go and talk to your naturopath or to your doctor, find out if your hormone levels are normal, find out if the thyroid is working right, find out how your nutrition is, your physical health. All those things contribute. So you start kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together, unlocking the case, boom, and uh, it goes good. Okay. Anything else? Anyone want to be brave and ask a question here before we get ready to close our day and sing to Jesus? All right, here's what we're going to do. It's Christmas time. And so, of course, we do. We want to honor the Lord by singing to him. And, and I want to take us into song with this admonition. Thanks, babe. Um, sexuality is an expression of the gospel. And here's what I want all of you to hear right now. It's Christmas time, which means Jesus came into your lives not to condemn you, 
not to condemn you. Jesus came into your lives to set you free, truly free. To set you free from insecurities, uh, to set you free from fears, um, to set you free from shame, to set you free from guilt. And so, you know, not divorcing our talk about sexuality to spirituality, but intertwining them is glorious and good. And so even within our sexuality, we can stand and we can worship God today, remembering that God has made us pure. Every one of us. Say that to yourselves in your hearts and minds right now. Brother, you who are struggling with porn in this afternoon, you know you're going to fail again. Just remind yourself right now in this moment, I am pure because of Jesus. I don't have a license to go look at porn, but I am pure, and that gives me strength to fight. Ladies that have been sinned against or hurt, you've been made new. Christus victor. Christ's victory is yours. Your identity is not victim. It is pure, holy daughter of God. Beautiful and majestic and wonderful. We can praise each other because we praise Jesus. As we go to song now, we lift our hands in praise to his beauty. We lift our hearts in praise to his beauty. And as we sing to him, we become beautiful humanity again. We become what we were always intended to be. And the truth is we're naked and unashamed before him, praising him and uniting with him and being intimate with him in praise of his beauty. And Christmas reminds us, you guys, that he pursued us. He won't stop pursuing you couples. He won't. He'll never give up on you, ever. Till the day you die, he'll be after you. He'll be after your hearts. He'll be after your bodies. He'll be after your sex lives. He'll be after your minds. He pursues you with a relentless passion to give himself to you completely. So, Taproot Church, he loves you. (laughs) He's married to you. And so in this Christmas season, we're talking about sex. Next week, we're going to be talking about babies. Man, let's worship him and let that just infuse our marriages and infuse our lives to take us into 2013 with great power, great strength, great joy, great hope, great peace. Would you all stand with me? I'm going to pray. We're going to pray in song, pray in heart, pray in mind, pray in soul. Let's pray. Um, Father God, Uh, it is a glorious thing to connect our sexuality to our relationship with you. And I know, Lord, that this has just been a dump truck full of, of confrontation for some of these married couples. I know it has. And that's your gracious love, God, working in them today. Gracious Father, come, Lord, and embrace us. Embrace us, we ask you to. Like the Shulamite woman, our our longing and our looking is for you. Our passion and our desire and our heart is given over to you. And we, your bride today, though shamed and guilty and broken, we come naked and exposed because you have made us pure. And Jesus, you embrace us. You take us in. You take my brothers. You take my brothers in. You hold them tightly close to you. You strengthen them in the inner man. You assure them that you are their king, that you are leading them, that you are with them, that you are for them, that you are not against them, that you have not left them, and that you will guide them 
you take my sisters and you hold them closely. And Jesus, in this Christmas season, come, Emmanuel. We long, Lord, for the the second advent of Jesus Christ to come and set us free from our burdens. I take this opportunity and I pray for the sex lives of Taproot Church. I pray that these men and women would be equipped now to make disciples, to go out and counsel their friends and their family members that are having sexual struggles in marriage and, and to disciple this culture that is so sinfully reveling in sex outside of marriage. I pray, God, that these disciple makers would be given tools and boldness. And so in our time of song, Lord, as we sing these Christmas hymns to you, make much of yourself in our lives. We pray them out. We sing them out to you for your glory. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for Jesus. In your precious name, amen.